Hey, everybody. Welcome to Roger and Me, a.k.a. Roger Ebert and Me, a Siskel and Ebert tribute podcast in which myself, Brett Arnold, and fellow film critic Mark Dusick of MarkReviewsMovies.com reviewing movies for... Is it 21 or 22? I never know what to say at this point. Time keeps passing us it's by. It's 2022. 20, Isn't I it? Think, yeah. yeah. This month, I think it's 22. Well, holy wait, crap. No, just, yeah, whatever. Oh, God, it's longer <laughs> than 22. Oh, no. 23 anyway, years, is it? It's like oh, 22 and a half, maybe more than that. Whatever. There we go. Um, We're going to round up. Mark has been talking about <laughs> movies, reviewing movies for a quarter century, nearly. Uh, that's where we're at. Um, and what do we do here? As I said, it's a Siskel and Ebert tribute. If you don't know what Siskel and Ebert is, they were two guys who reviewed movies on television. They popularized the form. And now everybody on Earth has a movie podcast. But we haven't found many that do as exhaustive a job as we do. Let's toot our own horn for a second. Most people hone in on a movie or two. We try to cover every movie that comes out every Friday. I will admit, I don't do as good a job as Mark does. If you go to markreviewsmovies.com, he's got 12 movies on the website for this week. The week of Friday, October 20th, 2023. Uh, On this episode, we will be covering eight of those 12. And of the four that I didn't watch, uh, one is A24's Dicks the Musical, which they did not provide a screener for. And They really uh, are trying to hide this thing, which is weird. because I, no, It makes sense, it's funny but that it's also you say, weird. It's funny that you say hide, because what they told me is they are pushing the theatrical experience on this one. And they don't want me to see it at home. So choose your own adventure uh, belief on that I, one. But it wasn't I do good. get... I, I think it's okay. I do get the logic behind that because if you're in a room, there's there is probably one of the funniest things I've seen in a while in this movie. Wow. Um. Yeah. It's, I'm excited I to see it. I genuinely see had it. tears trying to hold back as much laughter as I wanted to let out. Um, wow. Anyway, but it's no because I thought this was going to get a wide release. It's it's not. It's not getting a wide release. It's only in big cities apparently, even with its wide release. So I don't know what they're doing with it. I but I also get it because it is such a weird movie. It's based I on think a play. You I definitely believe. need to check. Yeah, yeah. It's based on a two-man off-Broadway show that I don't want to give away the title. I know. I've read the, the premise. A bit of a spoiler. Yeah, I've read the premise, <laughs> and it sounds hilarious and silly in a way that I would like, and I think people have mostly enjoyed it. I feel like the musical theater crowd likes it more than anybody else. Um, it's very much, very much meta level humor going on about okay musicals and movie adaptations of musicals but not as much as i wanted that's my, i think my big complaint with it is that it's it's funniest when it is at its silliest and not trying to make much sense and it tries to adhere to the whole musical formula without really sending it up too much except from how absurd it gets so it, i think i think you will at least find some stuff to appreciate (laughs) well as soon as it's available on vod i will watch and i will update and on that front i guess i should say i don't think i said on the pod that i caught up with the creator in theaters which i think would two and a half from you or two yeah two and a half for me and i think you're lower i'm a little lower and i just i think it's just annoying that that movie became like a rallying cry for some people who were like support original filmmaking and see the creator and i'm like support original filmmaking and see anything else because I did not find anything about it original other than, you know, it looks nice, but man, that script is bad. And it's just full of cliches uh, to a degree that I thought they were setting up a subversion, but they weren't. It just ended up being the most cliched thing possible. And it does that at every turn. 
So I did not like that movie. That's an update on the creator. I would give it, I guess, two stars because it looked nice. Very generous. Yeah, uh, fair enough. Because I gave it two and a half mainly because I thought it looked really, really. It nice. looks really nice. I but then you, that's where we're at. <laughs> and even then, but like when I start to think about like what he has on screen, like the droids and stuff, I'm just like, even this just feels like he's doing. I wanted to make Rogue One the way I wanted to, and they didn't let me. So I'm just going to make my own sci-fi movie. And even then, I feel like he's cribbing from Star Wars. And well, I guess you can only. You, if you're doing a sci-fi movie, your iconography is limited, right? So I feel like yeah. you have to do like Star Wars stuff. So that's the movie does have that vibe. Uh, I'm still unconvinced that John David Washington is a is a good actor. I don't know. I'm not saying he's bad, but I just am unconvinced that he's good, and I remain unconvinced after that movie. As far as other movies Mark covered that I didn't, they sound crazy. <laughs> One is an animated film called The Canterville Ghost, and when you review an animated film that I've never heard of. I just I can't even imagine what that's like because I feel like animated films are like there's a few major studios that pump them out and then there's other studios that must is this like a Netflix what is this it's uh Shout Factory and huh. Blue Fox Entertainment so see that's not, funny yeah, to me not... that like indie VOD providers kind of making an animated film and it's no good it's a me. British one it's oh, a okay. British it's yeah it's a British import I think. So it's got it's got Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie. It's got a reunion of those oh. two in it. Although that's not that big of a deal cuz Hugh Laurie only shows up in the last like 10 minutes or so. So it's a very little bit of Fry and Laurie. He shows up and tells a character they have lupus. That was a, that was a house MD joke everybody. Yes. Um and then you also not, it's never lupus. It's, it's never no, lupus. That's right. I thought that was it. I thought that was the beep. That's probably the joke. I don't remember. I never really I watched don't either. that show. Um I just, you know, it permeated through culture so much that you and I both exactly. referenced it. Uh and then there's something called The Other Zoe which you gave a one star, a rare mark one a, star. Really bad rom-com. Awful rom-com. Awful rom-com that doesn't even have any kind of sense of internal logic to it. It, it uh, it's trying to send up rom-coms like the character, and that, that, that that's that's not. We've very seen a lot of novel those. anymore. We've I know seen, that's yeah. not novel anymore. You have the character who's cynical about romance and everything, finding oh two potential suitors on a skiing trip that she didn't need to go on that she probably shouldn't have gone on. Yeah. The whole setup to it is so dumb and makes no internal logic it has no internal logic to it it's just yeah. it's just bad and then the rest of it is lazy just them hanging around and just i i don't know it's, well i don't it's, feel like i i missed anything you didn't uh, miss anything the no. whole plot could be resolved with a single line of dialogue and no one says it ever <laughs> so and we are covering a documentary this week on apple but there's another documentary i think on prime that you covered called silver dollar road that you did recommend so i'll let people seek that one out uh, and maybe yep. I'll catch up with that one as well. But it's I've been vamping for too long. We have a new Martin Scorsese picture to talk about, which I yeah. can't believe. And then a new Netflix comedy, a new Nicolas Cage film, and a bunch of other stuff. So we're getting right into it. <laughs> right into it, he said, seven minutes in. Here is the trailer for Killers of the Flower Moon. Whose land is this? My land. Well, 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 our war hero has arrived. You made a good choice coming back here. Those days are the finest, wealthiest, and most beautiful people on God's earth. They outsmart everybody. They have the say. Who gets the oil? Son, I got a question. You like women? <laughs> That's my weakness. <laughs> well, we mix these families together. And that estate money flows the right direction. It'll come to us. Shomikasi. 
That's how you are. I don't know what you said, but it must have been Indian for handsome devil. <laughs> Man, I got chills watching that trailer because I've been avoiding the trailer, so I haven't really seen that. And it just really evoked the movie for me, which is yet another Martin Scorsese masterpiece. I don't think Mark and I are going to disagree too much on the fact that this is a great movie. But um, I'm very excited to talk about it. Mark, tell me what this is about. So this is based on a true story in, I believe, the 1920s. It's, it's post-World War One in Oklahoma, uh, in the Osage Nation. So uh, Osage County, the reservation, that area, they discover oil. The Osage people overnight basically become the richest people per capita on the entire planet because of the oil supply there. And there are maybe three different through lines going on at different times here. The first one is about the Osage nation and how they discovered the oil and their customs and becoming more closely integrated into white society, Yeah, but also having this somewhat of a barrier to keep them protected and their ways protected because of the money they have. But the second story is, bunch of greedy white men come in and try to steal the land and steal all their resources it's the quintessential american story essentially um just cut down to this very specific time period and the specific place and the specific awful series of murders that happened in order for these men to be able to take all of those money which again the quintessential american story we're talking about um the third thing, which apparently the book that this is based on is mostly about is the yes. formation or the early days of the what would become the FBI and how they investigated those murders. That's like the third act of this movie. It's crazy. It's two, it is. It's yeah. two hours before uh, the FBI shows up, which if you've read the book, which I have, that is like that is not at all how the book is. The book is more a almost a, I don't want to call it a mystery because it's like a nonfiction book. That is a retelling of a true story that is just very fact-based. Uh, but in doing so, they tease out. They don't tell you who the killer is in the book until like the end. You're like through the investigation because the story, the parallel that the book does that the movie doesn't have is like the J. Edgar Hoover starting the FBI and this becoming a case thing. It's so, like the movie puts that, as Mark is saying, in the third act. It's like not a, the biggest part of the movie. And instead, they hone in on the relationship between Molly Burkhart and Ernest Burkhart, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's character, and Lily Gladstone's character. And it's in such a bold choice. And I think I was chafing up against it at first because I'm like, they're only skimming the surface of the book. Like, this isn't getting at the really the truths, you know, like at the beginning when you see that uh, Molly Burkhart can't get her own money out of the bank, she has to have. Uh, you know, a white man banker say that she all her spending goes through them. And like the book gets into why that is and how that is and all that stuff. And the movie just kind of lets you live in this world without basking in the details. So I felt both, Mark, like glad that I read the book because I really got I feel like I got the bigger picture that was only teased in the movie. At the same time, knowing I don't know, there was like a maybe a lack of tension that I was expecting from the movie because the book is a mystery and the movie is just isn't. But the movie ends up doing something totally different. And I was so amazed by how Martin Scorsese took his, what he's known for, basically. The gangster crime epic, that exact arc. And he just plots it onto this movie. And when you realize what he's doing, telling the original, as you're saying, uh, America's original sin, like America's, like the, the true, the first true crime story you could possibly tell. 
it's so amazing to th- think like that's what he's doing. And then the movie unfolds that way. It's a Martin Scorsese crime epic with a much larger scale, right? Yeah, a huge scale. I mean, the movie as, as has become very clear at this point from mid uh, pre-marketing is it's three hours and 26 minutes. It is a long movie. It is his longest movie and he has made some long movies, but it is worth it because it gets to spend all of that time again with with the tribe so you understand the customs you understand all of that you understand this i mean in case you needed to you understand the stakes what i really appreciate about this this is a martin scorsese crime drama like casino like goodfellas like the irishman it is that type of movie where you are invested in the lives and the doings of these criminals but it's the one I think that more focuses on the victims of yeah. those crimes than any other movie he has ever done. And the fact that he does that and ties it oh. to the American story, that story of how America came to be from its colonization through uh, manifest destiny, through all that, tying those two things together. It's a simple idea, but it's so powerful just to say these men are criminals. These these people are victims. This is this is America. This is where we're at. And yeah. this is where we have always been. Yeah. And it's such a powerful statement told in such a simple way, just by, by acknowledging the the victims of the crimes and giving them a voice and giving them probably as much screen time or close to it as all the criminal doings going on. It's such a, such a powerful little gesture. It doesn't seem like a big deal, but it's a huge deal. And that is what makes the, scorsese violence you expect or i didn't expect in this movie but you know you expect from his gangster movies when that like gun violence happens which feels like it it, it's it happens the same way as it does in the irishman or in goodfellas it really feels like it's it's like that movie is like it's the same style of scene but because we know we're focusing on the victim so much it hurts so much more it's like so hard to watch the violence in this movie. Whereas you're watching a Goodfellas or a Wolf of Wall Street that's kind of like sending up the characters and like you're watching these bad people get murdered and you don't feel as bad about it. This movie, that centering of the victims, put it puts a lump in your throat right when... Because I read the book, I feel like as soon as Molly was introduced and she's like narrating and the, the montage of her dead relatives, like I was just, I was heartbroken already. And then the movie just lets you wallow in it. And it's like staggering to behold. Robert De Niro, best performance in ages, maybe. In Probably since top... The Irishman. I mean, well, he's great sure. in The Irishman. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you, you have to like put the Scorsese pictures aside from his career. Yeah. Really, <laughs> because he's been doing like the war with grandpa type shit for 15 years or whatever. But like the man really shows up for his buddy, Marty. They've been making movies for what, 50 years now together or something. So he gives as good a performance as he's ever given in a Martin Scorsese picture. And it's, it's just so it's amazing. And I I don't, I I think his performance is the best in the movie aside from Lily Gladstone's very understated and very important performance. I feel like Leo DiCaprio is great in it, but you know, it's so over the, his character's like a dunce and he's playing it so over the top to make sure, you know, that he's a dunce that, I don't know if it's like one of my favorite Leo performances, but it's just it's just such a tough character to be around. And you, uh, man, I just am rambling because I want to say so many things. Yeah, but. what I I mean, I suppose I suppose we can say because it's right up front that we know who the you said we know who the killers are. We it's, know who the killers it's, are. It's DiCaprio, it's De Niro, and it's everyone around them conspiring together 
to it's get the head about, of all the yes. yeah. It's a movie about and, the complicity of everyone around them. Yeah, yeah, the complicity. Just those scenes of just DiCaprio kind of falling into becoming a murderer, and yeah. just by, by how a telling other people gets manipulated by a powerful person. Yeah, yeah. It's like I I just want a job, and suddenly he's organizing the murders of multiple people, and uh, that are directly related to his wife. And the way that he ends up trying to convince other people that he is using the same tactics that his uncle uses on him. It, there's so much going on here in the crime story that's not what you expect from a Scorsese movie. It is more about just how people who don't know what they're doing, who people who are ignorant of what's going on around them, and people can just so easily become caught up. Like, yeah. DiCaprio's character doesn't sh- show up knowing I'm going to become rich by organizing the murder of a bunch of people of the family that of the woman I'm going to marry. He doesn't know that, but as soon as he's there, he's right in it just from the get go, yeah. even just marrying her. He does like her. He is attracted to her, but I mean, I don't That's think this guy's cr- capable of love. I don't think this guy's capable of anything just because That's interesting. Cause I feel like there is love and it's just like a contradiction. Is there though? Like, I don't know. <laughs> well, yes. Well, I mean, obviously yeah. you know what happens. So it's like, you can't imagine yeah. there is, but I think that's, what's so amazing about it. It's this love story too. That like you kind of understand where she's coming from, even though it seems unfathomable, and that like she put all her trust in him, even though the signs all pointed to she shouldn't. And like on the one thing where you're watching the movie with the fucking diabetes insulin, you're like, come on, like that you can't like stop it. You can't keep letting this happen. And like, uh, yeah, yeah. But she it's all about trust. It's, yeah, you know, the trust gets to a certain point. She's she doesn't trust everybody, but she does at least trust this guy. And that's the, that's one of the see. I, I do uh, think he thinks about. I, I, sorry, I just want to say I do no, think no. he loves her because I think the movie is so interesting in that it's about how people can love somebody and yet also think nothing of doing these horrible things to them in for their own benefit like the ultimate selfishness that but like, then is that love that's what well, i'm getting sure, at sure, that's absolutely. what i'm getting at. absolutely sure <laughs> totally fair. He, just, he loves her to the extent that he can but he's a sociopath basically and like there are so many touches i, I we can't talk about it all here because it's a yeah short, we can't short window but like the visual flourishes of his decay as a human and how he's like rotting and like flies yeah. will appear near him there's like the filmic stuff like which i don't want to talk about the ending specifically what it is but the last five minutes of this movie made me ball like if i talk about it right now i'm gonna start crying because it is like martin scorsese becoming so fucking aware of all the narratives about him glorifying uh gangsters and stuff like that and what does it what does it mean to depict an atrocity in art it is just like Martin Scorsese very carefully delivered like he clearly ah god I don't know what to say to not spoil it but the ending of this movie hard. Yeah. gets introspective in a way that I didn't expect it surprised the hell out of me it really shows that um it's it's a, it's a maxim that Jesse and I always joke about on the New Flesh podcast people always say this about movies where it's a movie about who gets to tell whose stories and why but like this movie really gets into that it's about what gets left to history and the people who make movies that uh, tell that history, like, is that the truth? And where is the truth? And it gets at other massacre. Like it's just so smart from a cinematic perspective, the way um, the opening silent film shows how the Osage people 
became rich like as an audience like us would have taken in that fact back in the day like it just really he's a genius what am i i'm praising a martin scorsese film like like it's a new thing to do but it is just so like any criticism you could throw against it like scorsese is ahead of you is what i would say like he knows that there's controversy for a white man to be telling this story and he's very aware of that and he's very aware of the trivialization of let's say of like true crime narratives these days and how they all get distilled as entertainment and the movie makes a statement on that (laughs) while being a movie that is you know objectively doing that it's entertainment but we're watching this horrible thing happen and the movie is aware of that would you agree Oh, totally. Yeah, it is totally aware of that. The ending does bring up this idea of at least period true crime drama and what that looked like at the time. It's a great little touch at the end that just really does make you think, oh, and I mean, yeah, we we can't say it, but Scorsese no. is clearly aware of what his movie could be seen as and is coming out directly and saying, this is what I want you to concentrate on. That's as much as I can say about it. Yeah. It's but man, I mean, just throughout the film, I think it, I think it would be easy to miss how much it focuses on the victims just because that middle half does that middle half, the middle section does just focus on here. These are the crimes. These are how they were perpetrated. This is how it all went down. And it does become maybe a bit too bogged down in those characters and loses a bit of focus on the Osage people and Molly in particular, but I, I mean, Gladstone is so great here. She has to do. She does so a lot much. with a little. Yeah. Yeah. She has to do so much. Just those little like hints of sarcasm that come out of her. Like she is a fleshed out person. She is a real person on that screen. You can yeah. tell, you can tell that this is a real human being. She is playing it at that level. Not only so that you can sympathize with her, which is, very easy to do because of everything that happens, but also so that she is standing in as a representative for all the people who don't have a voice here, either because they're killed or because the story can't get to that because it is focusing on a single chapter of American history while also deep reckoning with the entire extent of it when it comes to native American people and how that all, all happened, that all that horror went down. Um, yeah, it's a great performance too. I mean, I don't. I mean, I think th- I think that's given a given at this point. That's been the talk since the movie was screened at any festivals. That Gladstone yeah. is fantastic, and she is. Yeah, but I think it has to be stated why that performance is so great too. Absolutely, just the idea that you know history forgets, and we need entertainment, and like entertainment is what is what lasts through the ages. Like it's like you know oral tradition. That's how stories used to be told. Now we have media to tell our stories and like which media survives history is like the history we get and the movie keeps bringing up the tulsa race massacre which is something like most people didn't know about myself included until an episode of the fucking watchman tv show brought that into the public consciousness and then it became a topic du jour politically like this movie is about such big things like that but it's also a very small scale story about a relationship and just you know, then the corruption of humanity as Martin Scorsese is wont to do. Um, if there was anything keeping me from a full throated five out of five uh, from this movie at first, I think it was the thought that it's just skimming the book. It's just it's such an interesting adaptation because it doesn't frame it the same way at all. It just has the gist of it told completely differently. And I think there was a part of me that 
like thought that the, there's important stuff that needs to get out. But at, you know, after sitting with it and what the movie actually is and what he's getting at, I don't think there's a. I don't find it to be a flawed adaptation at all. I think it's a uniquely Scorsese adaptation, and that's what makes it such a powerful movie. And I'm full Ebert scale, four out of four on Killers of the Flower Moon, just as I am with with Irishman, which I will admit I like Irishman more as a just a, a movie that I will watch twice a year forever. And like, I don't know if this rises to that, but yeah, I'm, it's fantastic. And I can't wait to see it again at this moment. Yeah. I was really wanting to watch this one again pretty quickly after I saw it the first if time. If there was just a screener mark, I would have so watched much. it already again. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. I, and I don't know how much that would have opened up. I know, for example, the Irishman, which I've watched a few times since I first saw it and it has opened up significantly, Brilliant. even on a second viewing. It's maybe uh, my favorite all, of his movies. It feels like all the things. Opus. Yeah. All the things I thought I loved about the Irishman. And when you watch it again, it's like, Oh no, no, seriously. Yeah. Th- I really do love this film. Again. I don't know if this one, like you said, I don't know if this one's going to open up more. I do wonder how much of the, the what, what information is really going to be revealed here on another viewing other than understanding some of the details like the head rights issue, like all of that, like the bank. Yeah. Which the book, is, all that- the book gets into in such granular detail. You understand yeah. the head rights and why all the people, why the yeah. white people have the, you know, the right to them, but the movie just kind of gestures at it and lets you put it together that like white America encroaching, they can't believe they gave up this worthless land and then the land ended up being not worthless. So they feel entitled to it. It's about entitlement. It's about so many things. Yep. It is. Yep. Yeah. Big stuff. So it's, it's all right there to watch and it's so well told and so well performed and it subverts Scorsese's, you know, uh, canon in terms of crime movies by focusing on the victims. I I think it's really, really, really good. I'm giving it three and a half. That's where I'm at. I think it's, I mean, that's it's top 10 contender for sure. 100%, it's it's yeah. up there. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not quite four stars on it, but it's, it's amazing it's so to good. me that he, I feel like Marty could turn any book into a Scorsese crime epic now. Like the family of gangsters isn't the mob it's white america and the staggering scale and implications of that and the complicity displayed it's just all i can't believe he did it it just blows my mind why i was kind of just dumbfounded watching this movie by it like i i, I couldn't believe like, i don't know what i was expecting but i was not expecting an irishman casino goodfellas wolf of wall street vein movie and it 100 percent is structured the same way so when that was happening i was blown away um yeah, I find it delightful. I we'll talk about it more on the New Flesh podcast because we're calling it a horror movie. Because isn't it? <laughs> I mean, ultimately, it is. Yeah, yeah. Ultimately, it is. It is the ultimate horror movie about the horrors of America. Uh, great movie. Check it out. I think it. Uh, you know, it will do. I think it's going to do like twenty or thirty million this weekend. I hope people go see it. It's not going to do Oppenheimer numbers, but people will see it, and it'll be at on Apple. I'm assuming by Thanksgiving or something, but they haven't said. Uh, but here's something you can watch at home right now. Uh, Bill Burr's Old Dads on Netflix. I always wanted to be a dad. It just took 46 years for it to happen. Just rub some dirt on it. You might want to put a little Neosporin on it. I think you get infected. Oh, yeah? Are you a doctor? You're just like one of those WebMD guys. This is common knowledge. You want to keep the cut clean. Well, listen, I'm trying to raise a little man here, not a fucking pussy. So why don't you just go on Twitter and go share this story where you're the hero? What's up, party people? You happen to check that new joint from Little Baby? Come on, pound it out. That's yeah, okay, thanks. What? He's flick. Oh. Flickety flick. You see me, gotta 
All right, you two lock it down. We gotta impress this dude. Change happens faster than when you were young. This company is now a gender neutral, carbon neutral, 21st century lifestyle brand. I don't know what any of that means. You need to talk to someone about your anger. You were late. Couldn't find a spot. Mark, while this actually does kind of seem like a perfect fit for Netflix, I am surprised that it's there and not on Fox Nation, the Fox News streaming service, because this is ultimately a movie for old conservative men who are brushing up against a new society, a new world with words like gender neutral and carbon neutral and people riding scooters and paper straws. Uh, It's a movie for that crowd because it just seems to gesture at these things that are changing in society and say, isn't that annoying? And I'm fine with that as a premise for a movie. I think Bill Burr is a funny comedian and I think he's actually a capable leading man here. I think he's a compelling figure. I think he is funny. This movie is not funny, Mark. They there's no like funny set pieces. There's no witty dialogue. I guess it thinks it has witty dialogue, but it's really just this angry movie where this, you know, guy yells Fox News platitudes at you about Gen Z is like this, your generations like this. I can't believe it. It's it, it's not funny, and I like I, I like this guy. So like I'm I like everyone in it. Bobby Cannavale is great. Bokeem Woodbine, weird inspired choice. The movie is bogged down in weird sitcommy plot mechanics. It's not funny. What do you think? That's where yeah, that's my big uh, problem with it is that it is the sitcommy mechanics where you have to have you can't just make it be about. Hey, now I want to push back a little bit. I think I think the movie is a bit more introspective than your average Fox Nation viewer and the Fox Nation oh, sure. There's an made for TV the movie might be. There he is learns a, his lessons. No one, yeah. yeah, he figures it out. He realizes yeah. that it's not just You're right. the world Fox is different. Would, and I, would reject this. The problem isn't the world is different. The problem is the world is basically the same and I'm scared of the little things that are different. And that's the lesson here. And I think yeah. it delivers that. My big problem, and, and you're right, Burr is a good leading man, which is unexpected because we've seen yeah. some really bad comedians oh, just yeah. show up being being their stand-up comic persona and spouting a bunch of their their stand-up routine and dialogue. This doesn't feel like that. This feels like it is an actual story with a character who has an arc that he has to go through versus just you know there are some like road trip stuff material like lines that feel like this is straight out of a stand-up routine. But that's about it. Otherwise, it is about characters. My big problem is those mechanics and just trying to force so much stuff into it, having the two friends. And yeah, kind of, kind of Val is great generally, and Bokeem Woodbine is fantastic usually, but what are they doing here? Nothing. I don't understand what yeah. they as actors are doing here or what their characters are doing here. The wives or the girlfriend who are here, yeah. they, they don't serve a purpose, but the movie no. spends a lot of time with them. The whole stuff with the school and the feud with the principal and the oh, committee yeah. to come up with sitcom, a party sitcom, sitcom stuff it's, it's all like sitcom-y. this is, it's an episode a bunch of these episodic plot like subplots are just single episodes of a sitcom crammed into about 15 yeah. minutes and those episodes are all about broad generalizations about yes. generations yeah. and what's wrong with the times. Like there's the whole narrative about them getting pushed out of their job, which they sold themselves, which seems that it doesn't really it doesn't really jive with me that they're so frustrated because I'm like, you sold the company. Shut up. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Uh, y- you did this. But uh, it's them, you know, at work with everyone under 35 or over 35 is fired. 
and they are now uh you know carbon neutral whatever the fuck company they're dealing with all that stuff but then there's my favorite part is the like the free speech the the cancellate the cancellation stuff that's in here about how you know people can't talk people can't have locker room talk anymore they can't they can't say how they feel with their friends in private they can't you can't have a conversation in a rental car about how women are bad or whatever there, there's just you know they brush over like misogyny and stuff as like jokey locker room talk it, it's a, it's meant to appeal to the conservatives i understand but like again the way it comes off is cartoonish and sitcommy and it's just so silly that like they what they lose their jobs over there saying things about trans people in a car uh, in their car it just the degree to which the little episodic sitcommy things are just talking points from from uh you know right-wing media that's where i that's why i made the fox joke it just feels so lazy oh no i agree i no, no yeah. i get it i get it this oh, for is sure. like i mean i don't want to name names but there are certain like fox news hosts you could who try to be stand-up comedians who you could see Oh, being yeah. doing this watched, routine, I think it is really funny. On television, yes, just on its own, it's really funny. Like, no, no, this it's it's not funny. This, I, I Burr has that nice little, you know, self-deprecation that you could tell he's not saying these things to actually be cruel or anything. So, versus what you would get from some of those other people, yeah, um, yeah. I don't, I, I don't, I don't see it as that. And I know you're not saying it is just the material no, is the material some, is doing that. And it is intentionally doing that. There's for, something actually kind of unapologetic the way it shows them just like stumbling because of the way they were raised and stuff like that. But the movie doesn't interrogate it in any interesting way. It's just, no, it's just it. I wish it were. I wish I could recommend it. Like I want it to be funny. I just kept waiting for, well, it's a comedy, so maybe they'll have a funny scene. And instead, it just has it gets bogged down with such like I don't care about Bokeem Woods Woodbine reluctantly deciding to have a kid again or like whatever is going and then on. Buying there. a bunch of stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just sitcomy. That's all I can say. Yeah, it's that sitcomy, is yeah. which means some people will find it fine and it's perfect Netflix fodder. Um, but I'm I think I'm a one and a half, I guess. On oh, on okay, old dads. A little bit stronger, two stars. Yeah, we're because, not that far mainly apart. because Burr and his sense of humor and that level of introspection is, you know, at least admirable. And I, I apologize for my bad Burr impression. I didn't workshop it. I just threw it out there. It didn't sound very yeah. good. Um, it was a little less Bostony than. <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah. where he's from, right? It's Boston. Oh I yeah. Mean, oh yeah. Right? Oh yeah. Um, how does it? How does this compare to Bad Moms? Bad mom. Wait, wait. Which one I'm was just, bad mom? Bad moms, old dads. I'm trying to think. It just feels like it's oh, part yeah. of the same universe. Old dogs, wild hogs. Wild I'm hogs. Doing, words, <laughs> doing word association at this point. But all those movies feel similar, kind a of. A bad mom's Christmas. Is yeah. that what we're going to get next? Old dad's, old dad's Thanksgiving. Christmas. <laughs> this could have been old dad's Thanksgiving. This could have been yeah. old dad's Thanksgiving. Oh, well. Yeah, they brought over a tofurkey. There's, a, there's, no, there's no turkey at this Thanksgiving. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. That's my Bill Burr. It's getting worse. All right, let's do. So. Let's let's talk about <laughs> Butcher's Crossing, um, a Nicolas Cage film directed by Gabe Polsky, which is who's the director of a a pretty good documentary about a uh, hockey called Red Army from like several years ago. But here is Butcher's Crossing. Dear Father, I decided to leave Harvard. Travel west. 
hope to find a stronger purpose and more meaning in my life. What can I do for you? I would like to go on a hunt. This will be one of the biggest halls anyone has ever seen. Where are we going, though? So you're a God-fearing man yourself. Mark, this is a movie about finding out the West ain't what it used to be. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I'm going to start over. I didn't mean to say that. Uh, Mark, what is this movie about? Because for the life of me, I couldn't figure it out. I was bored out of my mind. It can't possibly be as simple as some people think things are different than they are. That's kind of it. It's <laughs> it's based. Well, here's the thing. It's based on a novel that came out in 1960. This was oh. still when the Western was reaching near the end of its popularity, but it's still the legend of the West was out there. The legend of the old West and the the, the the noble the noble guy going out and finding his fortune and his destiny out west all that stuff was in the popular culture and um yeah this movie this book and if this movie had come out a couple of years later it would have felt revolutionary because it was coming <laughs> out around the time that all these westerns were saying hey you know what maybe there's a lot of bad stuff about this country now and hey wait wait maybe all that stuff that we learned from back in the day wasn't good either essentially you know what killers of the flower moon just says right up front this one kind of tries to sneakily get towards and it has only to do with the buffalo with bison it has nothing to do with the actual native american people even though it references it a couple times that there's some stuff going on like the whole hunting takes place on an on a, uh, a native burial ground anyway the point is it is that simple it is just the story of this guy with a big goofy smile when he goes out to kansas it and watching that smile diminish as he realizes, hey, you know what? This isn't that great out here. There are people who are thirsty and get lost from their 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 caravan. Yeah. And the buffalo are like just getting massacred by this guy. It's funny. I feel like nowadays we get the same narrative, but it's like a disillusioned young woman going to Hollywood. And now yeah. this is like the old West version. Yeah. This boy shows up. He's like, I want to hunt buffalo in the old west and they're like all right let's go and then it just sucks right like that's kind of the whole thing there's yeah it's all about them gradually losing their minds as they become stuck out there because the one guy is too obsessed with hunting buffalo and wants to be have the biggest haul ever in the history of butchers crossing kansas it's 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 there's nothing new here and it's not performed well i mean the performances aren't they're not good right am i Am I missing something? Because no. I don't. Yeah, the performances. I don't think the lead guy, Fred Hetchinger, he's he really is just like goofy smile, and it slowly falls as he also, the movie progresses. Xander has, Berkeley is. I don't know what Xander Berkeley is doing in this movie. He's playing the old coot, and he's not very good at doing it. And I like Xander Berkeley in general, but you he's know not what? Good. There's an inspired element to this. Do you remember when Nick Cage, who has a completely already bald head? is seen shaving his his very bald head. I really enjoyed that. A couple times. Yeah. A couple times. That you got to maintain it, right? You I mean, gotta maintain, hey, we know. We know. Yeah. This is the, gotta maintain this is the bald men podcast, as, as everyone knows. <laughs> if you're watching on YouTube, you know that. Maybe the listeners don't know that. <laughs> yeah. But Mark and I are sitting here with our bald heads uh, talking about Nicolas Cage having a bald head in this movie, which I think yeah. I like the look. He's got my look with the beard and the mustache and the Yeah, and the I haven't gone head. full... I haven't gone full straight razor yet, but 
yeah. one day it's going to ha- probably happen. I he mean, makes I it look cool. Just enough here. He does make it look cool. So that's good. It's promising. You know. Yeah, that, that was the one element I like. The only thing I wrote down is <laughs> LOL, shaving his already very bald head. Um, but yeah, this movie is just the Old West isn't what you think it is based on the pictures or the novels is kind of what it's getting at. I think it's about the dangers of underestimating nature and exploiting yeah. it for profit. It's about all these things. It kind of gets into some bullshit messaging at the end that feels unearned about Native American stuff. Yeah. Considering the movie and does also, not feature Native Americans in any way. Natural conservation, which is, you know, important. Uh, but yeah. I, that's it, really? Okay. Well, somebody said on Letterboxd, they were at a festival where this played. They said, while presenting the film, the director mentioned how he had to rush the film t- to shoot it in 18 days. And he says, and it shows in every scene. <laughs> that's pretty good. Um, I mean, he's not wrong. It just feels very first drafty, too, doesn't it? It also... Yeah. You know, it's it's also pulling from like some of the greatest movies ever. Like you can't be like the treasure of the Sierra Sierra Madre for modern times and have it be this fucking boring. It's just it's not doing anything new. That's you're right. That's a big problem with it. And Nick Cage is fine. Nick Cagey. It gets gets Nick Cageier by the end. Um, I don't think it works that well. Though. It doesn't work I mean, that well. The movie no. is boring. It's boring. That's really the biggest criticism. It, you know, it's it's boring. It didn't hold my interest at all. I it's very forgettable. So much so that I had to like re- try to remember what happened besides him shaving his bald head. Um, it feels, you know, I feel bad. That apparently, this guy spent fourteen years trying to get this made or something. Um, spent fourteen years to to think it up and eighteen to shoot it. <laughs> Come on, man, something's off uh, in your calculations. Your math doesn't work right. <laughs> Math is some of that new math <laughs> well that's that's what it really shows in the final product uh one and a half for me on butcher's crossing okay two stars but let me low end two stars i mean there we whatever. go all right yeah, you're ready to disagree mildly i guess i don't know here is the trailer for a movie that's on shutter now uh night of the hunted not to be confused with the iconic 1953 film Robert Mitchum, is that right? Night I'm of the, Night it of the Hunter. Too, I don't remember what year. <laughs> Great movie. It's often Great cited movie. as one of the best movies of all time. Uh, it's directed by an actor who never directed anything again, I believe. Uh, that's nothing. To, yep. Has nothing to do with this. Uh, no, it doesn't. This is Night of the Hunted. It's probably they're better at, if we don't mention a great movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're clearly working on you know the the iconography of the title, if that's the word for it. I don't think it is the word for it, but you know what I mean. The iconic nature of the title uh here's the trailer can i get some gum hello Mark, I'm I I fucked. Oh, hold on, 
Mark, I messed up. I should have put this one next to Old Dads because the point of that I'm trying to make about that movie having right wing talking point soup, this movie has even worse case of that. Um, I'm assuming that's what derailed this movie for you, but it didn't derail it for me for the most part because I'm so susceptible to that be like that's such a real thing in society right now is these people that believe crazy shit conspiracies because of the internet because of conservative media and this movie is definitely pulling from that real life fear they want you to they want their threat to be realistic and i felt i did think it was realistic i think the script's not that great and him talking him him explaining himself doesn't come off great and i'm assuming that's what you didn't like about it but like i i give him points for trying you know they really threw in every every talking point they could think of Bullshit vaccines, 5G, Bill Gates, cat call, me too, forced mandates. They bring up everything. And maybe that's not a good idea. But to me, it it makes the threat more general. This movie to me is about the threat, the fear we all have in society nowadays, which I very much have, where you think of mass shooting could happen at any moment and you can get shot. Everyone has a fucking gun. There's more guns than people in this country, probably. So it's tapping into very real fears with gun violence, which I always is. A, it works for me if you do it right. And I think the gun violence here is, you know, it's it's horror movie violence. It's it's gross. It's nasty, gory. Um, so that stuff works for me. And then it's just like a siege or what do you call it? it, not, is it siege movie is not correct. It is a guy on the phone movie like a phone booth or almost like a joyride even where someone's pinned down in a place and that's kind of the whole deal it's a single location thriller so i don't know this movie's about a woman being trapped in a fucking gas station being shot at that is enough goodwill for me to forgive the right-wing talking point soup uh of the of the guy's rationalization now i'm assuming you're gonna say you disagree entirely i'm going i'm going to agree with you that i was with this movie at the start when it was just about yeah it was about a mass shooting about to happen in this remote location where where this woman is stuck and trying to survive it i was with it there and then it becomes about a movie it becomes it's a movie about that being such a big deal in this country because they literally say it they literally say the same things that you were saying about guns and how many guns there are in this country and man a mass shooting could happen anywhere and this guy is out over the radio and he's saying all this stuff maybe it's a personal motivation maybe it has to do with the vaccines maybe it's because (laughs) he's you know a military vet who was wronged by the system there's all these potential motives thrown into this and it doesn't work because See, it is just him talking over the radio incessantly and repeatedly. And sometimes the dialogue connects like those different sections of what his potential motive is. Sometimes they connect and sometimes they don't. And by the end, I'm just like, I don't know who this killer is. I really don't need to know who he is for this situation to be frightening. And I, I don't think it does a service to the idea that there are people like this out there with motivations that are based on yeah politics that they read online or they hear on the news and all this right. stuff i it doesn't do any service to that it's just throwing it into this thriller where it's undone by the fact that this guy talks so much and there's just <laughs> there's just nothing for her yeah. to do it turns her into a passive person she's just there 
kind of hanging out and listening to him for long chunks of the movie. And there's stuff that she's supposed to be doing to try to get out of it. The movie sets all these things up that she needs to be doing. And she doesn't do it just so this guy can talk. So it diminishes it as a thriller because you're just listening to this guy talk. And it diminishes the point that it's trying to make because it's just telling you exactly what it wants to say over and over again. And you get it. You get it right from the start when it is a guy with a sniper rifle shooting innocent people. And there's some sort of motive that he has. And we don't (laughs) know what it is. And isn't that terrifying not to know? From the God is nowhere billboard. (laughs) Yeah, I know. That was I don't like that. nice touch yeah that was i don't was know a nice touch what the billboard see, was advertising but it's yeah nice you see it so much you're like what is wait is there something here I'm well supposed to be getting? what you're saying I about i mean you're not wrong uh and and there's <laughs> all I'm, I'm right <laughs> you're right you're right you're not wrong i i don't disagree with anything you're saying i just am more forgiving to the idea that the movie is just like kind of gesturing wildly at the idea of right-wing talking point murderers and not honing in on a specific one for this movie. Like, I understand why, as a, from, you're looking at it as a reviewing a movie perspective, sure, the movie doesn't really have good motivation because it's it's giving you every motivation. But from a stepping back and looking at it as an important film and like a metaphor that it wants to take away, I thought it was fine. Like, I get it. This movie is about being scared of those people or about those people. And I I, I found it effective in that way even though it gets less thrilling as it goes. I agree. Uh, but, you know, it gestures at big ideas, like people not wanting to have kids due to school shooting fears or shooting fears and stuff like that. And it gets into cyberbullying, if I recall, and getting into radicalized online. These are things I wrote down. I don't know if the movie got into them or if it made me think of them at this point. Or did it I, say I, it I watched like it two weeks three ago. Three seconds. Yeah, maybe one of those. But, uh, it for I, three seconds in the five-minute monologue that he's yeah, got. I wrote down election fraud. I know he said that. <laughs> Yeah, he brought that up. He definitely he brought that it's up. It's everything. It's everything. The whole yeah. point, the whole point of him saying all this, but he's also like talking about her personal life too. Oh like god, that, specific that, about her. That red herring like, or whatever. Know, that I was is it a red a McGuff- herring. It's a MacGuffin to me almost because the movie wants you to think maybe she deserves it, or it wants you to think it's well, this other thing yeah. going on. There's a lot of it's. Yeah, it's not my favorite movie. I've ever here's, seen. here's my here's my point. Which which approach do you think would be better? Because they both get at it. This movie is saying there are so many potential motives that we'd never know what his motive is. So is it just him saying a bunch of stuff over the course of 90 minutes? Or is it him saying very, very little and just focusing on her trying to get out of it? Which would be the better approach, do you think? <laughs> to yeah. get at the point that this we don't know what this guy's motive is. Because I think I think the latter. I think just watching her try to survive all of this and come up with some ways and yeah. maybe hinting at the fact that I, he is and yeah. letting the metaphor that's pretty clear be just remain a, a metaphor. There's a better version of the script that does that and the movie's better for it. I agree. I don't disagree. Okay. But I'm still I'm giving this mark. I think I did okay. I think I, I think I gave one of these last week. But I wanna say, while we're being <laughs> weird about random silliness and ratings, this this two and a half no, I'm not going to frame it that way. Wait. This is a three-star review from me, but it is on the very two-and-a-half-y side of the three, leaning to the two-and-a-half. I think I said the same thing last week about Puppet Man, and I want to make yeah. clear, I like Puppet Man more than this. I thought it was more yes. fun. Um, but I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't dislike this movie, despite the fact that I clocked everything you're saying, wrote it down, noted that it was doing it, and was kind of silly. And I definitely hand waved away all the issues I have with it because I thought it was okay. It wasn't, it's not, 
I didn't. Th- I didn't think it was like boring. But I guess if you're watching it by the fifth time he's monologuing, maybe you're like, <laughs> okay, enough. <laughs> we get it. We get so, it. Yeah. Very caveat three. Cautious recommend. I liked it. I have problems with it. Yeah. I have problems with it. They're not going away. <laughs> one and a half. <laughs> Whoa. I forgot it was that low. I didn't realize. Uh, that's funny. Okay. Let's mildly disagree some more. That was a pretty big. Uh, that was a bigger was pretty disagree. Big. Yeah, big, this is, this... I do. I do appreciate you said I was right. You so. were right. You're not wrong about any of it. Your review is right, but so is mine. So it's yeah, real. I don't know about it's it. a real. <laughs> you know, Mark, this is really a podcast about who gets to tell whose stories and what truth. Is. What is truth anyway? I think we're both right. Choose your own adventure. Truth. Uh-huh. Uh, and that factors into this next movie, The Pigeon Tunnel. Errol Morris's. Almost obituary for John Lacare. John Lacare is that how you pronounce it? I think that. Is. Uh, the, yeah, the, the movie said accent, it. I, the movie said uh, yeah. it. And I was like, oh, I thought it was John Lacare. I was wrong. Uh, here is the trailer. You asked me about the nature of our relationship. I needed to know who I was talking to. Were you my friend across the fire? Who are you? And if I can't answer that question. <laughs> It's terribly difficult to recruit for a secret service. You're looking for somebody who's a bit bad, but at the same time loyal. There's a type, and I fit it perfectly. In your memoir, you say none of it's true. It's as I imagined it. When I was in MI6, it wasn't enough for me. So what I did was reinvent the secret world and fill my own people with it. Why is betrayal an important concept to you? It has a long family background. Writing is a... So I concede this is a well-made documentary. Errol Morris is an icon, made some of the most important and some of the best documentaries of all time that have had such impact in the real world impact and implications like the thin blue line getting of guy exonerated and stuff like that. That's what I'm talking about. So this profile of an author I've never read who's moved, you know, I've seen some of the movies based on his works. I just don't Mark to put it bluntly. I just don't John Lacar. I say it right. I just don't John LeCare about this shit that much. It's totally fine. I like would recommend it absolutely if you care about spy novels and you care about this man in particular. Because I think it's trying to get at bigger truths about honesty and truth and whatever else it's trying to do. But it doesn't have the impact that Errol Morris's best films have, like The Fog of War or The Thin Blue Line or any other number ones you can name. He's made so many. This one still feels too minor to me to get too excited about. And I think you'll probably agree it's minor, but you thought it was good. Is that where you at? Yeah, it is minor, but I did like it. I liked getting to know this writer and this man who has a lot of thoughts near the end of his life. He dies. He died maybe like a year or so after the filming of this. This is, yeah. Calling it an obituary is, is appropriate. It's, it's, it's an elegy for him, but so much of it comes from himself. He's just talking about his life very openly and very honestly. He doesn't, he's not like covering up anything except the stuff that he doesn't think anyone wants to hear about, like his love life or anything. It's like, that doesn't matter. What people care about is 
how he comes up, how he came up with the stories, what his personal professional experiences were to inform them. And then I, what I really appreciate about it is that it lets him talk about his philosophy on humanity and what, what so much of what he, why his characters are the way they are and why his plots are the way they are, that people are just, you know, kind of defined by moment to moment decisions that they make that memory is this very, uncertain thing like he he has these memories from his own life about seeing his father in prison and then his father later on would say like there were no windows looking out on the road you would have been on that could not have happened and he's like it happened to me that is a memory i have even if it didn't happen i remember that and it says something about me and it says something about my experience even if it didn't happen i was fascinated just listening to him talk for i think it's like 90 minutes or so it's not like it's not a long movie it's just you just get to hear all these thoughts about him and you get to understand him as a writer. And I really liked the fact that Lakari knows who Earl Morris is. Just oh, as yeah. Earl Morris knows who he is. And they both have these expectations of what this is going to be like because Lakari thinks Earl Morris is a guy who gives people the rope and lets them hang themselves in these interviews. Yes. What does he have on me? What is this right. going to? This isn't an interrogation. This isn't an interview. So that tension, I really liked that level of it, of just them both clearly admiring each other, but also feeling a bit skeptical about what the whole point of doing this is, because what's coming? What are we going to learn? Yeah. What, what is this? I, I like that. It feels a bit like a thriller. It feels like a, you know, a back and forth interrogation thriller to a degree, even though there's nothing here that's revelatory about you know, you're going to come away thinking, oh, that guy was terrible. What did he do? No, Earl Morris clearly admires yeah, John Lacari just... as a writer and as a person, and it, co- it comes through. So, yeah, I I don't know. I enjoyed it. Yeah, there's no amazing larger truth. I guess that truth you said is interesting about memory and how truth is kind of subjective, I guess. Like, I guess that's a big pick, a larger truth, but I don't know. I've heard that one before, I suppose. Uh, yeah, but... Yeah. Yeah you're not you know you're right that thriller the the, him knowing errol and expecting one thing is that does provide a night like some levity that i enjoyed it just ultimately is too dry for me as someone who's never who's never seen this man or read this man and just like you know i just wouldn't have chosen to watch this i guess had we not had it not been for the show and that's more on me than the movie i'm not judging the movie in that way i think you're i think it's very well made Got some great CGI pigeons being shot out of the sky. Yep. Um, Errol Morris is an amazing filmmaker. I just didn't particularly connect with this one, and I think, I think either I don't know. I don't think you need to be a fan of his to like it. No, but I think it would help a lot. I think it, yeah, if you ha- have it would help to have an interest in this man. <laughs> if you had, if you've seen like any of the bigger movies based on his work, like Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy or any of the you know BBC yeah. miniseries that have come out about it like you'll get an understanding of the basics of what his writing's about it's about spies yeah (laughs) that's really it yeah it's about spies uh but more grounded spies not james bond stuff yeah so So the absolute indignity i'm about to place on errol morris by giving this two and a half after giving night of the hunted a, a, a three a two and a half leaning three but i'm sticking to my guns I I'm I'm still recommending it if you if it sounds interesting to you. I just it didn't sound interesting to me and it ultimately wasn't. But it's not Yeah, it was interesting. It was interesting to me as more than just this biography of a writer. It is it does get at his philosophy of life and humanity and all that stuff. So I, I, I give it three. I think it goes a bit deeper than I was expecting it to, and I, I did like that. 
I was expecting this next movie to be different than it ended up being from the opening, I don't know, 15 minutes that I found pretty charming. Uh, let's talk about Sick Girl with Nina Dobrev as Ren Pepper, one of my favorite movie names in recent memory. Uh, Nina Dobrev is Ren Pepper in Sick Girl. you guys we don't even hang out anymore we're barely ever together as a group well that's how it goes maybe you just got a little stuck after high school i did not peak in high school everybody say yeah i have cancer oh what no what kind of cancer do you have tonsil red pepper oh yes okay. you know what i think i have to go on this journey alone you don't have cancer. Did you read my medical history? I could have cancer. I'm sorry, do you want cancer? So this movie up top, first of all, it starts with them singing Fallout Boy in the car. And then <laughs> I, did you, you want to feel old? Yeah. Yes. But. Well, I'm sure you noticed that, but did you notice who did the music for the film? No, I didn't. Patrick Stump, lead singer oh, of Fall Out Boy, that. which was so yeah. funny because there's that Fall Out Boy song and then there's a Fall Out Boy poster later in her room, I think. So I was just really like loving the, yeah, want to feel old period details yeah. about Fall Out Boy. And it's all you people in the 2000s who grew up in the 2000s exactly. start feeling old now. There you exactly, go. Exactly. See what it feels like? <laughs> I don't like it. I actually, uh, Evanston lore, I sold a movie ticket to Pete Wentz and oh. Ashley Simpson to go see um, The Incredible Hulk 2008. And I helped them sneak in the back door so no one saw them. Um, but no, enough Fallout Boy lore. They're from they're from Wilmette, which is like the town. Yeah, if you don't know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's why I know so much about that. Um, but this movie, as, it, as the trailer shows, very traditional plot you've seen before of a friend who's kind of a mess, whose friends are all growing up and having kids and doing bigger things and she's just kind of still a drunk and being silly and that was a fine enough setup and i i I really was vibing with it for like 10 minutes i'm trying to find my notes because i remember just like her talking to her sister and being like what's going on and her sister just being like um talking about what she did with her daughter that day very dryly being like um today i counted beans my daughter's obsessed with beans we spent hours counting beans. Like maybe it's just because I had a kid and I can relate to this now. But I was very much like, this is charming and funny. Like she, her friends did grow older and she is just a little a mess. But then the inciting incident, I don't know what you felt about it. It felt so first drafty stupid. And the movie just like commits to it and feels like it's stuck to it. And I felt like there was a much more interesting movie in the 10 minutes before the incident than anything that came after and i just wanted an entirely different plot which is something i could never have never thought about a movie before i i just didn't care about the high concept premise of faking cancer to make your friends closer to you because they have kids and you're just a, a, a loser kind of maybe it's because we just had a movie that was similar called sick of myself that was really funny and incisive and like reactionary and interesting and like it had so much going on and it really sold the dark humor 
and had body horror elements. It just was really f- so much different than this. This just feels so lazily committed to a half j- joke premise. Like, what if I fake cancer to make my friends hang out with me? And then they like, wrote a shitty movie around it. It just never convinced me that this movie needed to exist, despite a setup that I found enjoyable. Did you at all feel the setup being enjoyable, or did you think it was all pretty lame? I thought the because the early stuff is very on one hand very predictable because it you know is you know the the whole thing about not growing up that's a character we've seen so many times yeah but you're right those little details of the friends like the the kid counting beans and that's how she's gonna be spending her day that's a really funny touch there's some other stuff with the other friends that are like the one the one friend trying to run a marathon and just always practicing and always you know getting a workout in no matter what's going on like i need to get my workout in so i can run the marathon another nice little touch yeah as soon as as soon as go ahead sorry Oh no! No, sorry. As soon as as soon as she, you know, lies about having cancer because she saw it on a soap opera, um, it it doesn't work as well. I at that point, it's the movie's working against itself. It's just trying exactly not to be. It's trying not to be a bad movie. It's trying not to be a terrible movie about a terrible character, and so it is just trying to force humor on her and some of it i found some of it funny just making fun of her like making fun of the type of person who would lie about having cancer and the uncomfortable situations that she finds herself in because of that lie some of that's funny but eventually it comes up with the i think you know the big difference between this and sick of myself is sick of myself is a foreign film and i don't know if that's the specific part about it but it lets its protagonist be unsympathetic and to get at some truths about the character because that character is unsympathetic. But we seem to have this real big problem in American cinema that you have to sympathize with the character, no matter how bad they are, no matter what awful thing they do. And that's where it eventually gets, goes wrong is it's trying to explain like, Oh, she feels insecure about herself and she doesn't, and she's an egotist and she's a narcissist and she needs to become better. Sometimes people don't, do that that doesn't yeah. happen except Some people, in the movies narcissists don't have arcs like that yeah exactly <laughs> yeah they just stay yeah, that exactly. way they, they stay that way and they get better at being it and better at hiding it i think that's yeah. where i think most narcissists and that's go. you're right that is why sick of myself and sick of myself movie. works really well because it does get at that yeah there's there's a little detail here that I thought might have taken it in a different direction and might have actually elicited some sympathy and that's the fact that her parents um are narcissists too right um it, clearly, it's Wendy Mc, McLendon Covey and oh, who's the other guy? Dan Beckadal. Those are the parents. And they play those parts, you know, as people who are self-involved, just like she is. And there's like, there was a point I'm like, well, of course, she's going to turn out this way because look how she grew up. These are yes. these are her role models. Right. But it doesn't go anywhere with that. They just become part of the joke. The friends yeah. eventually have a joke, a couple of jokes played at their expense. I didn't like that because they're just innocent it's all standards and all this Mark, it's it is such broad comedy is too kind it is such obvious comedy like what what her friends end up doing to support yeah. her and stuff like that like the movie's just from that point of the horrible cancer moment which by the way she only says she has cancer because she throws her phone and it hits someone's child in the face <laughs> and so she's deflecting yeah. from that like it just doesn't work but like from that point on, it is just the most boring, broad comedy you'd expect. She won't stop lying. She doubles down. It's not funny or interesting. Her friends do come through in the way you want, which is supposedly the whole point, but she's blowing it because she's lying. She could, you know, she gives her speech that she felt we were going apart. I did it because I was, it's just the most predictable bullshit. 
it's bad. Like I really was with it for the start. There's even that line. I think someone was like, you love bartenders. They control the the booze. She goes, yeah, with an iron fist. And like, there's just genuinely charming, lovable loser stuff early on that completely gets ruined. So by the end, two stars feels too kind. I'm one and a half on sick girl. I thought it was really bad. Yeah. Yeah. I'm giving it two, and that's, that's generous just because I did find some of that early stuff funny, even past, even past the lie, which I wasn't expecting when when she says that lie. I'm like, I'm just sorry. I just said, I'm glad, glad we agree that the beginning, there was charm to it because I was just like, I didn't know if I was crazy. No, you weren't crazy. It is. It is charming. A lot of that has to do with Nina Dobrev. She's, she's good. You know, this character that you should not like at all. And she tries to at least, you know, make it funny and make it charming as much as you can. So, yeah, I'm giving it two. And that feels a little generous, but it was better than I expected it to be. But still not good. Fair enough. Let's move on to the next, uh, the second three plus hour movie of the week. This is The Delinquents from Argentina. Um, Long story short, I would say skip it. But let's talk about it. Here is the trailer. Yo quiero tener una vida como esta, no quiero trabajar más, Román. Y si vos me haces caso, voy a hacer lo mismo. ¿Qué pasa? Te vine a proponer algo. Mira para abajo. Tiene 650 mil dólares. Hoy saqué el banco. Necesito que lo guarde y lo cuide vos. Con tres años y medio, cuando salgo, nos repartimos. 325.000 para cada uno. ¿Vos te volviste de dónde? ¿Tres años y medio en la cárcel o 25 en el banco? Es que a partir de hoy, cada uno de ustedes está bajo sospecha. I love the premise and the inciting incident of this movie, which is a guy who works at a bank deciding to steal $650,000 from the bank openly on camera uh, because he did the calculations of the prison time he would serve for the specific crime he did, I guess. And he decided this is twice the amount of money I would make if I worked here for the rest of my life. So instead of doing that, I'm going to do this heist, tell some other guy about it to hold the money for me, and then do my jail time, get out of jail, take the money, and live comfortably. Such a cool idea for a movie. And then this movie is decidedly disinterested in that idea and just meanders because it thinks it's making a point about the, the nature of freedom, I guess, and what it really means to be free in the world. Um I found it was interesting as like this anti-work heist movie at first, but it, it it's meandering, which is definitely the point I just didn't care about and ultimately lost the plot for me. What about you? Yeah, I'm on this. I'm in the same boat. It's um, it is really smart up front and it does what I, what I liked about the, the first half of it or so is that it's not just about the heist. It's about the consequences of the heist, the unexpected unintended consequences of the heist. And that, you can try to take a shortcut to an easy life, but there's still a price for it. There are no shortcuts to it. So all right. the people at the bank are looked at under suspicion, including the guy who's holding the money. Uh, it turns out jail life is not as easy as he thinks it's going to be. There's a clever bit that the boss of the bank 
and the guy who's trying to, you know, blackmail him for protection money in prison are played by the same actor. A fact I didn't know until I looked at the cast list, which is maybe a bit of maybe it's my fault and or no. maybe it's the movie's fault that I couldn't tell that they were yeah. the same person. But it, that even that, I feel like all of its points that it's trying to make were like, you know, work is a prison. It's the same thing or whatever. Like all the points it makes just feel so pedestrian or something. There's something like there's a difference between a movie being like smart about its ideas and being kind of dumb about its ideas. And I didn't think this was particularly smart about its ideas. I think it was smart about it up front. I think the problem is that you want those ideas to go somewhere. Yeah. And then the second half, the second half, it doesn't it doesn't take those ideas anywhere. It just is becomes this love triangle out of the blue where, you know, the, the two men at different points went to this small village after the heist and to do different things with the money. And it, it, it doesn't work. And there's like, you know, the fact of the casting of the bank manager and the prisoner as the same actor. There's also another cutesy thing going on where the five central characters all have the same letters in their name rearranged in different ways. Yeah, they're all like, anagrams. There's something, it's supposed to be something, I guess, that there's some connection to them, but you never feel that connection of what the whole point of it is. They're all, I that's guess, what I mean. Trying that's to live an easy that's life. Exactly it doesn't go what anywhere. I mean about dumb yeah. ideas, like thinking they're that's smart, but it's just like, what if all their names were anagrams? It's like, okay, I don't care. What does, yeah. that, what does that function do for the movie? And the it's movie a is a little detail, and that's it. It's a slog, and it's supposed to be a slog. I feel like they're trying to emulate how how three three the movie's trying to emulate three point five years in prison by making you the viewer feel like you're sitting in prison for three and a half years watching this fucking thing. It is deliberately long and annoying. I just was annoyed at it because I didn't I wouldn't have watched it if I didn't have this dumb podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, it just didn't do anything for me. I'm always will, waiting, you know, willing and hopeful that these movies will click for me in a way that I didn't feel like I wasted my time, but I definitely felt like I wasted my time after this one. So I would say the juice not worth the, the three and a half, the three hour, 10 minute squeeze uh, for the delinquents. I'm two stars, but that idea at the center of it's really cool. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm slightly more generous two and a half just because I guess I was more involved in that first hour and a half or so than you were, but man, that, that second half is such a letdown, no matter where you're it at. Is with that first part of it because it doesn't it's just trying to be this ugh. existential thing that i just didn't vibe with and I again i don't even think it was going at that i just think it's yeah. a love triangle just trying to add a complication and then it gets too caught up in that complication and stops caring about all the other stuff that it had set up beforehand i don't I, yeah. yeah it's weird yeah oh well that's the delinquents this next movie the last of the week honestly don't know why we're talking about it it's so bad here is a malibu horror story it's over here yo what is it look at those markings hey who's buried here is that a cave what is it oh. it is a cave hey i wouldn't go in there if i were you Shh, listen And the search continues here in the Southland for the four missing high school students from Malibu. Authorities are hoping that the contents of a video camera will help provide an explanation to the mysterious disappearance of the four teens reported missing. Thanks, trailer. That's all the setup I needed. Uh, this movie is emulating... Found, it's a found footage horror movie. It was an entire thriving genre that started ostensibly with Blair Witch. It's lingered since then. There was a time when they, we got tons of them every year. They're kind of dwindling now. VHS franchise is kind of the last 
remaining lingers of that, I feel like. Uh, and it's funny, Mark, maybe you're you're actually the person to comment on this because you watched all VHS movies in a row last week. But um, the only way I can describe Malibu Horror Story is imagine if a VHS segment lasted 75 minutes. Is that a fair comparison? Like, yeah, very little meat on the bone, but they really try. And it's so cheap. And it just it did nothing for me. Um, there are VHS segments that work, and that w- that's not my joke I'm making. I'm making the ones that don't work feel really cheap and like just vamping. Like there's no script, like nothing's going on. This movie felt like that to me. Just a lot of guys running around with the camera. Uh, that you're watching the footage from these disappeared boys, which is the same premise of The Outwaters, a movie based in California. That's not Malibu. I think it's Joshua Tree. But uh, I liked The Outwaters. I thought that was actually scary, had cosmic horror going on. This did absolutely nothing for me. I thought it was, you know, it's a cheap found footage horror movie that's trying to be packaged like a documentary that they're making, right? Like they're trying to do like a true crime doc with these kids and they found the footage, but they're just going to present the footage as it is to us. But there is some like edited true crimey narrative stuff in it, isn't there? There is. It is a team of filmmakers going into this cave where four teenagers disappeared like 10 years ago. And they're making a documentary, apparently on site in the cave, editing the documentary together, including adding some scary, uh, scary music to the footage, the found footage that they have. Um, It doesn't work for me, not because it's I don't, I don't know. I don't want to say. I don't want to say it's disposable, but it is kind of. I think. I think the filmmaker is doing something interesting and in giving us three different styles of a potential found footage or horror sto- movie in general. Because the stuff with the filmmakers in the cave is not done found footage. It's just you know straight up observant camera watching these these characters. Then yeah. it's the documentary they're making, and then it's the found footage that they recover that the police never got. And it right. shows that just on its own. It's, it's kind of interesting as an experiment and style, but it also just the styles clash because it's not scary. The found footage isn't scary because we know that these filmmakers have found it. And, and the filmmakers being not recorded by somebody, there's no tension there because you're not seeing this happen in real time i guess it's hard to describe it's hard to describe it's just we know the movie we're watching is a movie and the stuff within the movie tries to make it seem like this could have really happened but we know it couldn't have really happened because we're watching a movie it's it doesn't it's it's an unforced error to just try to add these layers on top of each other it doesn't work um yeah yeah. I don't know. It's hard to describe, but it's like, you know, it's just the illusion that found footage usually gives you is right. shattered but right like, away. And what's the point? Let's talk about like, does it deliver as like a spooky horror movie? Like, is the reveal worth it? Like, no, no, there's, not, there's nothing no. to this. Yeah, there's nothing to this movie. It feels very straight to video um, in a way that I didn't expect. Um, I feel like I get I ignore like six or seven of these type of movies a week in my new flesh inbox. And this one seemed like it had a bigger spend behind it or something. It felt like they were pushing it. Whoever made it. I have nothing positive to say about this movie. I'm just a full one star. Didn't care for it. Wasn't worth the energy for Malibu horror story. What about you? I have a few positive theoretical things to say about the style of it. And the, that meshing of 
genres and approaches to this. So I'm giving it two, but it's hey, it's another low two. It's that kind of week, I guess. It is that kind of week, except for the Martin Scorsese picture, which you should absolutely yeah. go see in theaters now before you uh, before it be, you know before it comes to Apple and you have to watch it on your television. Definitely see it in a place where you can't leave for three and a half hours. Uh, all right, we'll be back next week with. Who knows? A bunch of movies, probably. Bye. The show starts in one... Shut up. Ush.